0: let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study a word. I ask now, Lord, that you make me just a nail upon the wall, a rusty, sorry nail, Lord. But upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let me not be seen or heard tonight, Lord. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Again, this week, I am uh, Dr. Eric Walsh, a medical doctor, a public health specialist. Um, I've worked in the field of public health for a long time, and never have we encountered anything quite like what we're going through now. The story in the scripture that I was reminded of this week to study, to present, is found in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 24. We'll go through the Bible, a few key lessons. And I'll bring in some of the relevant pieces of what is going on in the world right now. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 1, And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. To understand this story fully, you have to understand that although David is responsible for his actions, God allowed David to make a bad decision. The first verse of the chapter says God moved David against the people. How did God move David against the people? By making David number the people. This idea came in his mind to number Israel and Judah. But why? Because the Bible says God was mad at Israel. He was upset with the nation. Verse 2, the king said to Joab, captain of the host which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. Now Joab said to the king, Now, Lord thy God, add unto the people how many soever they be a hundredfold, and that the eyes of my Lord the king may see it. Joab asked David, Why? But why doth my Lord, the king, delight in this thing? This story is an interesting story. God is mad at Israel. Israel is beginning to slip away from God. Why is Israel slipping? Israel is slipping because of prosperity. For the first time in its history, Israel has a solid king in David. Judah and Israel are unified. Their enemies have been beaten back. David is a mighty warrior king. And Israel has won all of these battles. Now they are trading around the world and money is pouring in. Israel's coffers are filling up. The the standard of living of the nation of Israel is higher under David than it will ever be. The people of God begin to slip from God because of their prosperity. You know, it's interesting because people preach these prosperity messages as if prosperity is the natural result of faith, that if you believe in God, you should be prosperous. Let me submit to you to be careful that, in fact, prosperity sometimes is the very thing that will cause you to lose your faith. And here now, this thing is happening. Joab says, David, why do you delight in this thing? And all you can see is that David is becoming prideful. The spirit of prophecy tells us that even David, who had such a wonderful upbringing as a shepherd, in humility, a musician, someone who praised God and had been through all the things that God had delivered him from, even David, under the weight of prosperity, even his heart began to be corrupted. David was proud of his kingdom, proud of having these large armies and soldiers. You can imagine he, he, him having like a military parade and all of the hundreds of thousands of soldiers marching through the streets of Jerusalem. David had become proud. But he was still the king. Verse 4 says, Notwithstanding, the king, king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. So they left and went to number Israel. And the Bible says, And they passed over Jordan and pitched in Oroir, and in, on the right side of the city that lies in the midst of the river of Gad and toward Jazer. Then they came to Gilead into the land of Taminhutshi, and they came unto Danjan and about Zidon. And they and came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and of the Canaanites. And they went out to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. In other words, they covered the whole land like America is about to do with the census. Now, I don't know if the coronavirus is going to cause them not to go door to door and do a census. I haven't thought about that. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. It took them almost 10 months. Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto the king after he'd done this census. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. It's interesting. They don't tell you the total number of people, just the total number of people who can fight. Isn't that interesting? They don't tell you how many people live in Israel and Judah. They tell you how many people actually can fight. This is the statement. This is the key. When you read the Spirit of Prophecy, uh, we are told that it is on this principle, David thought that they could fight their way out of all their problems. The people began to think it was because they had a mighty king and a mighty army and did not realize it was because they had a mighty God. This sounds like the sin of America, doesn't it? where we think we have a mighty presidency and a and a mighty government we think we have the when we brag about having the world's strongest army and and the most uh, sophisticated military technology we brag about our standard of living and and, and the the fact that we have all of these uh, wealthy people in our nation we brag because we think that it is on the arms of the flesh of men that america is made great and we forget the sins of America. We forget the failings of America. We also at times forget that it was God who blessed America. And now our country has turned from God to secularism and humanism. We believe that man was not created now in our public schools, but that man is the is the, is the complex result of a bunch of, of random chance accidents and evolved from single-celled uh, organisms through apes into human beings. We have turned from God, and we believe that we, if we can count the military, we are all right. Ten months later, when they get back, David realized he had made a mistake. Verse 10, the Bible says, And David's heart smote him, after that, he had numbered the people and David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that, in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. David went 10 months later. Now it's interesting, all the 10 months they're counting, David doesn't say, you know, let me stop this census. He doesn't send anybody out to go and get them. It's funny how sin doesn't seem so sinful until it's completed its task. It isn't until you, you get the word that, that you're pregnant when you didn't want to be or, or, or you've got a disease you didn't want to get. It's not until you're fully addicted that you begin to realize just how dangerous the stuff you were messing with was. David, and when they come back and they tell him, not the number of the people, but the number of the soldiers he has, that David begins to realize he has sinned against God by asking to number the people. Why did David come to this Uh, epiphany in in the story well it wasn't all by himself in fact there was a prophet involved just like Nathan was the prophet that helped him with Bathsheba this one is a prophet Gad for when David was up in the morning he got up in the morning and the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad David seer, saying go and tell David thus saith the Lord I offer thee three things Choose the, 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 the one of them that I may do it unto you. So the, the prophet comes to David. You know, man, David gets up in the morning, probably does his normal routine, his calisthenics, has his peppermint tea, and he's ready for the day. The prophet walks in and says, David, you're in trouble. You've got to pick one of three things. One of these three things will tell you uh, is what your punishment was going to be since you've recognized that you've made a mistake. Verse 13, so God came to David. Thus saith the Lord, and told him, and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or will you flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue you? Or that there be three days pestilence in thy land? And then God says something crazy. Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. Three options you get, David. One of them is there can be a famine. There will not be enough food for your people. Since you numbered your people and you think it's such a big deal to have a big crowd following you, I'm going to take away your ability to feed them. Punishment number one. Or number two, since you think you're such a big shot and you have such a strong army, punishment number two is you're going to have to run from your enemies. And I can imagine David saying, I've been there and done that before. He ran for a long time. David's like, I'm not sure I want to be running from anybody anymore. But the third one he says is, I'm going to hit the land with pestilence. Now notice, uh, the famine is seven years, to run is three months, but the pestilence is just three days. And I want you to get this in this time of the coronavirus 19, COVID-19, all the different names we have for it. I want you to get that the pestilence is so terrible, an idea to God that although a famine can last seven years or a military defeat can last three months, it is equivalent to a pestilence or a disease just lasting three days. In fact, virologists and epidemiologists have long been pleading with the world that we need to prepare for the next pandemic. We are now seeing that America did not prepare well. We could talk bad about the rest of the world, but the reality is right now as I speak, America does not have enough tests for this disease. We don't have it. We're scared we might not have enough ventilators. As we're seeing in other countries. We are afraid that disease will spread so rapidly. And overrun our healthcare system. Pestilence is one of the worst punishments. That God can put upon a people. Three days of pestilence. It's interesting because God says. Listen now you got to tell me what your answer is. Because I got to go back and tell who sent me. Who sent him is God himself. And then David says unto Gad, I am in a great strait. In other words, he's like, man, I'm in trouble. And then David comes to a conclusion. David says, if we're going to do anything, this is what we're going to do. He says, let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. David says, listen, if I'm in trouble, I do not want to fall into the hand of my enemies. I don't want famine where I might need someone else to find us food. He says, if I'm going to get in trouble, let me fall into the hand of God. Why? Don't miss this, church. The reason you always want to fall into God's hand is because God is merciful. Let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people of from Dan even to Beersheba, 70,000 men. The pestilence hits. It's only supposed to last for three days. And in three days, 70,000 men died. This does not say women or children. We don't know if they died as well. But it does say that 70,000 men died. And a massive impact on the nation. Pestilence can do this. And here's the crazy thing. As we deal with a pestilence in the world today, understand that if the coronavirus had just a little bit higher of a case fatality rate, we would be running for the hills. They've just said that probably the case fatality rate, even in China, is lower than they originally thought. Maybe it's more like 1.4%. The common flu that we get most years is about 0.1%, so it's still about 14 times more deadly based on the information we have now. I believe it'll keep coming down. But if this pestilence was more dangerous, in just a few days, 70,000 people could be killed. And Ellen White says this. From Testimonies for the Church, volume 5, page 463, she says, The work which the church has failed to do in a time of peace and prosperity, she will have to do in a terrible crisis under most discouraging, forbidding circumstances. The warnings that worldly conformity has silenced or withheld must be given under the fiercest opposition from enemies of the faith. And at that time, the superficial conservative class whose influence has steadily retarded the progress of the work will renounce the faith. Let me tell you something. Right now, churches all over the world are closed. People don't know what to do. They're staying home. Some folk are probably happy to stay home. Right now, we can see that gathering, evangelizing is tough and difficult isn't it interesting that just a few weeks ago we could have easily held crusades and 10 efforts and in just the stroke of a pen, just a flat blink of an eye, now the world has come down to just yesterday, as I say this, the state of California put their whole state on lockdown with other states probably looking to follow when it was peace and prosperity when we could move about freely we didn't do what we were supposed to do and let me let me tell you that what we're looking at now is really just a warning it, it is just a just 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 god flashing what is coming in before us now is the time to look up and know who god is and do the work of evangelizing because things are only going to get worse verse 16 of second samuel 24 says and when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Arana, the Jebusite. The scripture says that when God got to where David was, the city of Jerusalem, Actually, and where where this site is, is the the Mount Moriah. This uh, many scholars believe is the very site where Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed. Later on, the temple would be built on this very site. As God got to that site, I would imagine he remembered Abraham. I remember I would imagine he remembered Isaac and Jacob. I would imagine he remembered uh, David and he looked down and he said, wait a minute. And God said, wait a minute, stop. Just as David said, God is merciful, and as God saw what was happening, and he was about to strike the capital city, God said, okay, that's enough. Now notice in verse 17, David is not speaking to Gad anymore. He speaks directly to God. David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. God says, listen, it's enough, stop. But when David looks out and somehow he can actually see the angel of God, I don't miss this. David is able to see beyond the veil of the physical into the spiritual realm. David sees the angel of God standing there ready to destroy. David looks at the angel in position and he has to cry out to God and say, wait a minute, It wasn't them, Lord, it was me. Now remember the story starts that God is upset with the people, the children of Israel. They had already begun to sin. So David is now willing to on the Mount of Moriah where Isaac was to be sacrificed and God found a ram in the thicket. Abraham found a ram in the thicket to take his son's place, representing what would happen at the cross of Calvary, which would actually happen not far from Mount Moriah itself. Some argue on the top of Mount Moriah, right here, that same place. David now steps in and says, you know what? It's not, do not kill them for my sin. Let me die for their sins. Take it out on me, Lord. Lord. And I want to submit to you that this is the first lesson from this story. Repentance. If you want to stop the pandemic, you want to stop the pestilence or the disease, the spiritual pandemic, the sin pandemic, and it will allow you to survive these physical pandemics, the first thing that is necessary is repentance. Remember, it was David who said, look, I sinned and I did foolishly. He'd already said this, but repentance isn't just saying you're sorry for your sins. It is doing what David says. It is being willing to pay the price for your sin, to accept the consequences of your sin. Repentance says, Lord, I have sinned and I'm not going to do it again, even though I understand I might still have to deal with the consequences. David says, take it out on me and on my family, but leave the people alone. He repented. As This epidemic, pandemic, uh, pestilence circulates the globe. I wonder sometime if we, many of us as Christians are saying, this is a warning to the world. This is a a statement to the world. But God has been showing me that maybe this COVID-19 thing is a warning to the church. Maybe it's us that God is talking to. Maybe we need to recognize where we have failed God, how we have sinned. Maybe it's time for us to repent. Maybe God isn't trying to wake up the world. Maybe God is trying to wake up the church. We shut our doors to the church so quick when we were worried about getting an infection. Will we be able to keep the church doors open when the penalty for gathering to worship is death? Repentance. Maybe God is speaking to the church now. Maybe that's what this is all about. Maybe we have gotten so complacent and Israel was so happy in our prosperity, so happy in all we have, that we had forgotten what God was giving us and and, and salvation and, and the second coming. Maybe we were calling ourselves Seventh day Adventists, but we really were beginning to forget the seventh day and the second Advent. Maybe this pestilence is a reminder. 2 Samuel 24 and verse 18, Gad came that day to David. David had already spoken to God. The prophet comes by and said, go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aruana the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Aruana looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him and went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. Gad comes to David and says, listen. If, you're not going, if, you, if, if this thing is going to be stayed, you've got to go out and you need to go do what God says. You need to go and set up an altar in the threshing floor on this corner of Mount Moriah. The second principle, if you want to keep the pestilence out of your house, if you want to stop the pandemic from reaching you, the first step is repentance. The second step is obedience. David is willing to obey God when when Gad comes to him and says, listen, this is what you're going to have to do. David is willing to do it. In fact, he's willing to put himself, as you're about to see, in a very uh, 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 humbling situation as the king of a nation. He's obedient. And let me tell you something, church. One of the things that's scary in these days is we are living in a time when no one thinks we need to obey God's law. Even inside the church, we think somehow we're going to make it through and not conform to the precepts and principles as outlined in the Holy Scripture. I want to warn you, as this pestilence circulates the globe, as we are engulfed in pandemic, and they're telling us how to wash our hands, and they're telling us how much distance to keep, and how to greet each other, and everyone is complying. It's interesting that people are willing to follow all those laws, all those edicts, and yet the, the, the commandments of God, as written in His Word, are ignored. I saw a funny cartoon where they, had a, where, where they had two booths set up, and one of them said, um, um, how to survive COVID-19, and the line was long. And another one said, how to be saved from this sinful world, and there was nobody in the line. Right now, we live in a time when we think we're going to get away with it. We think if we just obey the laws of man and the science of man and the philosophies of man, we'll be all right. If we do all the things man says, let me tell you something. If we're going to survive these last days, we are going to have to be obedient to God's word, even when the world comes against us. 2 Samuel 24 and verse 21. Arowana said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? Why have you come, king? David said, to buy the threshing floor off of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. David said, listen, I'm being obedient. I've got to buy your place, because I need to build an altar. Now, Rwanda said unto David, let my Lord, the king, take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Like, behold, look, there's oxen for burnt offering, for burnt sacrifice, the threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. He said, "Listen, you can take my animals, dismantle my farm equipment, cut it up into pieces, build your altar, and and offer it to the Lord." The man who was keeping the land upon which. Abraham had gone to sacrifice Isaac. The man who was keeping the land upon which the temple would one day be built was a righteous and noble man. He was willing to give up all he had to make things right for his nation. Verse 23 says, all these things that want, as, a, as as a king give, giveth unto, a, unto the king. And he said unto the king, the Lord thy God accept thee. That's a powerful prayer. The Lord thy God accept thee. When we come together as a church and we pray for one another and we confess our faults one to another, sometimes the prayer we need to give each other is, may the Lord thy God accept thee. When you sacrifice and you go down in prayer to ask God for forgiveness, sometimes we just got to pray, Lord, accept that person's prayer. Accept their repentance. Accept their sacrifice. Verse 24, and the king said unto everyone, "Nay." but I will surely buy it off thee at a price. David says, you can't give this to me. Neither will I offer burnt offering unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land. The plague was stayed from Israel. The last principle here is a very important one. If we are going to stop the plague from reaching us, if we're going to stop the pestilence and the pandemic, spiritual as well as, as physical, we're going to have to sacrifice something. David says, in fact, we can't do this if it's free. It's got to cost something. Now, we, you know, we talk about salvation is free. Salvation is free, freely given, but it still cost, comes with a high cost. Christ paid the price. He had to die a painful death. David says, listen, I can't offer to God and it doesn't cost me anything. Some of us think we are going to be able to get right with God and it cost us nothing. If you're going to get right with God, you're going to have to do some things. In fact, in Revelation, uh, Jesus says, listen, you need to buy of me gold tried in the fire. He goes to a laundry list and clean raiment that you might be clothed. He goes through all of these things, and I salve that you might see. He goes through and gives you all these things because salvation, although is a free gift, it ought to cost you something. It ought to cost you your pride, your selfishness, your arrogance, your passion. It ought to cost you something. David built that altar, altar there, and just like he predicted, God was merciful, and the whole thing stopped. The third principle, if you're going to survive the plague that is coming upon the world, the third principle is you're going to have to sacrifice something. There are things that we're not going to be able to hold on to. There are things that function as anchors on our bodies. And if we hold on to those things, when the second coming comes and it's time for us to be lifted into the sky, if we're too busy holding on like Lot's wife, we'll be holding on to something on the earth and we will not be able to flee when it's time to go. I challenge you while you're under quarantine and lockdown, while the cities begin to shut down and the schools are closed to search your hearts daily and diligently. What do I need to give up? What do I need to sacrifice? So that the plague, that final plague, does not reach me. Because let me tell you something, church, there are plagues coming. There's a reason in Revelation the Bible describes seven last plagues. Because before the close of probation, there will be other plagues. As described in Matthew 24, terrible things are about to come on this world. Just this year, we've watched Australia burn and a billion animals, one billion animals die in Australia. We have watched earthquakes hit Salt Lake City, Puerto Rico, the Caribbean, and much of the world. We have watched war escalate to the teeter in, the, in, in Iran and Iraq, between the United States and Iran. We have watched all of these prophecies be, being fulfilled, and yet it's as if the church thinks everything is fine. Sacrifice. Time to give up some stuff. Ellen says this in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 754. Great had been David's fall, but deep was his repentance. Ardent was his love and strong his faith. He had been forgiven much, and therefore he loved much. And she quotes from Luke 7, 47 there. Let me tell you something, church, as we close. And I know how difficult these times are, but let me say this. No matter how bad your past is, no matter how harsh your failings have been, I want you to see and to accept the reality that the darker your past, the more powerful Christ's blood is. The more mess you did in your youth or in your past, the more powerful is the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the more you are forgiven, the more you will love him. So I want to tell you, as the plague circles the globe and they search now, people are trying to make their own hand sanitizer and their own Uh, disinfectants for their cabinets. Folk are trying to figure out ways to, to, the CDC say you can wear a bandana and not a mask and all kinds of stuff. As the world is looking to protect itself from pathogens, and in this case, the COVID-19 virus, as the world is looking to do all of those things uh, and and we put our trust in, in medical equipment and medical supplies, I challenge you to put your trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of us have more trust in Lysol than we do in the blood. And I challenge you that as you are forgiven much, you will love much. And I want to believe that as the world shudders because of this pandemic, some of us will come to the truth and realization that we need the Lord more than ever before. You want to stop the pandemic at the door? Take the time you're stuck at home. Search the scriptures. Search your heart. Repent. Sacrifice. And give all things back to him for Jesus is about to return. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this powerful Bible story, these times of uncertainty. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us stories and scripture to help us through. I ask now, Lord, that you would just send your Holy Spirit to your church scattered and living around the globe. Some, Lord, in their houses in fear that this virus will creep in. Others, others, in fear of job loss and economic hardship, some uh, in fear of those that are sick. Oh, Lord, our God, as David stood on the side of Mount Moriah, as he erected that altar and saw the angel of death and was able to plead with you for it to stop outside of his house. This Sabbath, help us, Lord, to plead. Help us, Lord, to sacrifice. So that those plagues, this pestilence, would not reach inside the house of God, your church global. Keep the angel of death out. Please, as you did for David, pour the mercies in. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.